Amen. So Ephesians 4, and, and, and we've been talking about, in chapter 4 here, the, the church, the, the various roles and the goals of the church is what we covered last week here as we went through verses 16, uh, sorry, verses 11, no, verses, yeah, 11 to 16 we covered last week. We looked at the roles and the goals of the church. And, and our purpose there in that was really, again, to be seeing growth in the body of Christ, the church, believers together to see growth. Because we looked at these gifted people that God had given there in, in verse 11. And these people that God has given the church was to do one thing specifically, really saw the purpose of the church in it, and that was to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So it's not just these individuals in verse 11 that are the ones that use the church. No, it's all of us that are working together as the body of Christ, as each part does its share, it said in verse 16. Every single one of us are here to be active in the church and, and contributing to the body of Christ for the growth of the body of Christ. And so that's what we're looking at here. And so one thing that can very easily begin to hinder that growth is when people begin to live very selfishly or sinfully, as can easily happen. Not in this church, in other churches I'm talking about, obviously, but, not, but it's so easy in the body of Christ for sin and selfishness to begin to set in. So Paul now, in verse 17, is going to set out to discuss a new morality that should be governing our lives as followers of Christ. Thank you. Yes, I needed that. All right. Perfect. Thank you, Jamie. Paul's going to set out to reveal this new morality that is to be leading our lives now as followers of Christ, as those that are, are participants in the body of Christ so that we may indeed be strengthening and blessing one another. Look what Paul says here in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. So Paul now, he sets out to exhort the body of Christ. And as he does, he says, I testify in the Lord. Now that was a way of really declaring, listen, I'm coming to you not with just something I think is going to be helpful to you. So I'm testifying in the Lord. This is something that the Lord has given me that I want to communicate God's heart to you and that's always you know what we should be seeking above all is Lord what do you have for us that's my my job is to go God what do you want to say to your people I don't want to be testifying of my own self and thoughts I want to testify of the Lord and 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 make much of you God and Paul is saying I'm coming here in the authority of the Lord I want to communicate what he's put on me this is not something Paul's saying this is you know what I thought might be good for you, Paul said, I testify to the Lord. But in also saying that, I believe Paul is, is one that is explaining, I'm, I'm testifying because I'm an example of one that once walked in a way that was very contrary to the way of God. And I know that I've been in that, in that path where I was going away from God. I was living in a way that was contrary to God. But God called me out of that here. Paul thought he was living a very moral and righteous life. But then he realized his heart was far from God. He was going out and, and persecuting the very bride of Christ, the church, thinking he was doing God a favor. And he had to realize, oh man, I need a change. 
I needed a, a work done in myself. He knew that futility of life that isn't walking in line with God. So he's testifying now in the Lord, communicating with the authority of the Lord, but also as an example that he's once been there himself. And so he now addresses that believers should no longer be walking as the rest of the Gentiles walk. I know he's taught a lot, talked a lot about our walk so far. In fact, the book of Ephesians is divided very neatly into two sections. Chapters 1 to 3 looks at the doctrinal side of things. Chapters 4 to 6 deal with the uh, application of those things, right? And chapters 1 to 3 was really where we sit in Christ or with Christ. But then chapters 4 to 6 is how we walk in Christ. And so that's the difference we're looking at. So Paul's been really emphasizing our walk. In fact, chapter 4, he started off talking about that very thing. He says, I beseech you uh, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And, and what's that calling with which they were called? To be unified together, right? Jews and Gentiles from very different backgrounds coming together to form one new man, he said earlier in Ephesians, the body of Christ. We're to be working together and walking in unity. But now as he continues on here, we're going to look at how we're to be those that are walking in purity. Like I said, something that will greatly kind of hinder growth in the body and unity is our own sin and selfishness. So Paul's going to be laying out for us this new morality and how we're to be walking now in Christ. So Paul encourages his readers to be sure that their walk is matching their talk. And a good place to begin is to be sure that you're not walking like the rest of the Gentiles, right? Now that might seem kind of like harsh and you're kind of picking on a group of people here, but understand that Gentiles were kind of like the poster child of polluted practices of loose living. I, I mean, the Jews would have taken real offense to be anywhere kind of associated with or compared to the Gentiles. The Jews would have been <gasps> gasping in their breath like, how dare you, right? It'd be like saying, listen, can you just stop living like Hugh Hefner? Like you would look at that as a believer, you'd be going, wait a second, how could you? I don't even own a robe. Like that just seems so, so weird, right? But, <laughs> but for some of us, we go like, how, how could you say that? How could you say that about me? And for them to say regarding the Gentiles, that would have been a, a really, you know, getting to them here. But Paul was not looking to, you know, bring any kind of judgment here or racial prejudice with this comment. He was simply stating the facts that the Gentiles were known as a group of people that were separated from God and were living for self and sin. And we might begin to think, oh, I, would, I would never walk that way. Paul, don't even go there. That's so far from anything that I would do. But Paul's already confronted us that we all once used to walk that way. It, just look at Ephesians 2, earlier in his letter. Go to, flip over a page or so if you've got your Bibles open. Hope you do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul writes here, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, 
fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In other words, Paul here in Ephesians 2 lumps us all in together to say, this is how we all once walked. We were there. He's not trying to isolate the Gentiles, say, oh, he's saying, this is how people lived their lives apart from God, and it's the same way you once lived because you were once apart from God. But now Paul says, this is not the way that you're to live any longer. This is no longer to be the path of our life and the way that we're conducting ourselves. Now, sadly, throughout history, the Jews were to be those that were being a light to the Gentiles, a witness. But sadly, the Gentiles oftentimes rubbed off more on the, on the Jews. But like I said, making a comment like this, Paul was not trying to make a, a, racial, a racially prejudiced comment. He was simply stating the fact that the Gentiles had a history of debauchery, right? As Christians, that should be the furthest thing that characterizes our lives, is what Paul is getting at here. Now, not only did they have a history of debauchery, but you see that they were living in the futility of their mind, right at the end of verse 17. They were living in the futility of of their mind. That meant that they were empty. They thought that living in this debased mindset or attitude would perhaps add to their life. That there would be something to gain from fulfilling their lustful thoughts. Right? But Paul says it was futile. They were thinking we can carve out our own path here. We can do our own thing. We don't need God. We can do it this way and it's going to be far better. But it's futile. It's like what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. Living a life after the things of the world, it's like chasing after the wind. It's just vanity, he says, which means it's just like a vapor. It's, there's nothing to it. You try to grab a hold of it, and you find there's nothing there to grab a hold of. It's futile. And they were in the futility of their mind, Paul explains. See, if you don't have the Lord in your life, you're going to be constantly chasing after that which you might think is going to bring fulfillment or peace but understand it'll be futile because those things that we truly need and desire peace joy love it's only found in Jesus Christ the very one that gives life and if you try to find those things apart from Christ you're going to find that it is going to be a very futile thing and these Gentiles Paul says they were in the futility of their mind and like in verse 18 having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness now of their heart so Paul says their their understanding now was darkened it's interesting that people that like to come up with their own spiritual path right that try to say, I've carved up my own religion in a sense. What do they often like to say about themselves? I've been enlightened, right? Now you hear people say that. Oh, I've just been enlightened. Boy, it's just been so wonderful. But the word says the opposite. Anything that goes contrary to God and away from God, they've become darkened, not enlightened. Why? Simply, like what I said, because anytime you move away from God, you're moving away from light because God is light, you want to be enlightened, then you move to God. You, you read his word. You follow his word and what he says. That's the way that you're going to be enlightened. That's the way that you're going to be not walking in the futility of, of your mind, but filling your mind with that which is true, 
and whole and good. And sadly, these Gentiles, again, as we're still on that, uh, looking at this example here, sadly, these Gentiles had every opportunity to receive the blessing and the fullness of life that God had intended for them, right? But what does it say? They, they alienated themselves from the life of God. And they did so out of ignorance. Their heart became blinded, or what Paul implies by that is, is more so they, their heart became hardened. It wasn't that they didn't have the, the capacity or the opportunity to receive God. It's that they didn't have the willingness to accept God and accept his truth, his grace and his mercy. They chose to make their own God or, or to, again, like I said, to carve out kind of their own spiritual path and feel like I'm enlightened because I'm going to go my own way here. And we see that same concept Repeat in Romans chapter 1. It's there in Romans 1 verse 18 that we read this. There are those that suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see, man's heart becomes hardened because they willfully choose to deny God. And in so doing, what happens is that they have alienated themselves from God. Anytime that you feel like God is distant, God's not the one that's moved away. We're the ones that have separate ourselves and moved away from God. Every person has an opportunity to respond and receive the blessed, the blessed life of God, to, to experience that forgiveness of sins and an eternal life. But not every person opens their heart to this grace of God. Like we see here in this passage in Romans 1 there, that, or yeah, in Romans 1, that they, they suppress the truth. They've understood very clearly by the evidence around them that there's a God, but instead of responding and receiving what God asked them, they suppress the truth, they put it down, they say, I don't want to go down that path. I want to do it my way. And in so doing, say, I'm going to alienate myself from God so that I can, in a sense, become my own God and do it my way. And they suppress the truth. And they, they harden their heart. But understand, God's given every person an opportunity. God's not the one saying, okay, you know what? I don't know if I really like you. I don't know if uh, I can trust you. I'm going to harden your heart. You over there, no, I'm going I'm to soften your heart. So you, God's not hardening some hearts. and soft. He's given every person an, an opportunity to respond to him. It's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, the same sun which melts wax also hardens the clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. The question is, how are you going to respond? And, and you see, there's a great danger of hardening a heart. How so? Look at what we read next in verse 19. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This right here is a very scary place to be. See, people can harden their hearts to a point where they no longer feel any shame or conviction of sin. 
That's not a good place to be. The Holy Spirit, understand, has been sent into the world to do what? To convict the world of sin, ultimately to lead them to Christ. He's come to the world to testify of Christ, to make him known, but in order to do so, he convicts the world of sin so that they will recognize what they're doing is wrong and contrary to God. There's something better for them. Convicts the world of sin so as to lead them to repentance and acceptance of Jesus Christ. John 16, verse 78 says it here. Jesus speaking says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. See, the Holy Spirit is actively at work in the world today, convicting the world of sin. Not condemning, but convicting. There's a big difference there. God does not come and condemn you. If you're feeling condemned, that's the enemy trying to take you down. The Holy Spirit convicts you, but that conviction is a good thing because it's to lead you to repentance and lead you back to Christ. To lead you to salvation and freedom in Him. But the person, see, we can respond one of two ways to that conviction. We can either say, yeah, you're right. What I'm doing is not good and healthy and, and helpful. I'm being convicted of that. I'm, I'm being stirred in my heart that this is not good. I need to turn away from that. Or you see that conviction and go, nah, I'm gonna, I wanna continue on in this. I wanna explore this a little bit more. Holy Spirit, no, leave me alone right now. And we can respond one of two ways. The person that keeps pushing that conviction aside is doing what? They're hardening their heart. And eventually that heart becomes so hard that it no longer hears or feels that conviction and is no longer capable of responding to it. And the idea here is what Paul says, that they've gone past feeling. They're past feeling now. They no longer hear that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the idea as how the New Living Translation translates this, it says they have no sense of shame. Isn't that what we see more and more today? that people just no longer seem embarrassed or shamed over sin, that sin now actually becomes celebrated. Or that which was once done secretly, like I don't want anybody to know, is now done very openly, celebrated. It's not a good thing. See, there's a real danger when we allow our heart to block out the conviction of sin. What happens is it gets easier and easier to commit sin without feeling any remorse or shame any longer. Conviction is a good thing. It's like the Lord is giving that warning that what you're doing is not a good thing or a helpful thing. It's a destructive thing. He's sounding that alarm to say, turn away from that. That's what that conviction does. It's a good thing. Now, of course, I hope that you're not walking around in constant conviction and boasting. Boy, the Holy Spirit, sure, working in my life. All right, I'm being convicted 24-7. Let's not start something to boast in, right? There's something wrong if you're being convicted. We hope that we're not being convicted because there's nothing to be convicted over. That we are walking in a way that we're following Jesus Christ very closely. Walking in obedience according to his word. But when you are convicted, simply make sure that you respond and allow that conviction to lead you back to God. Paul talked in 1 uh, Timothy 4, verse 2, about 
those that seared their conscience. And that word seared in the Greek is where we get our word cauterize from. And, and it's that idea like you just kind of burned away all feeling. You cut off yourself completely from God and from having any kind of sense of shame or conviction over these things. You just cauterized any kind of feeling to that. As Paul says, they're past feeling now. And when you no longer allow God to speak into your life, then you're going to be given over to enemy ground. That's what Paul says there, that they've given themselves over to lewdness. See, you're either going to be moving toward God or moving away from God. There's, there's really no middle ground for the believer. We like to think that way, right? We like to try to straddle the fence sometimes, right? And think, I can kind of be on both sides here. I got one foot over here, but I'm kind of keeping one foot over here just to kind of still maybe enjoy a little bit. Straddling the fence is never a good thing to do. Just watch America's Funniest Home Videos and you'll realize that's not something you want to be doing, right? It's going to inevitably end in a very bad way. You're either moving toward God or moving away from God. There's no middle ground here. These people that Paul is talking about have given themselves over to lewdness and he says with greediness. They, they've just jumped into that pool of pollution. They can't get enough. They're not just a, a one pleasure or a one vice type people. It's that they've gone in this with all greediness. They want everything that they can get their hands on. They practice all kinds of impurities and again, they do so with greediness. Taking as much as they can and there's just no limit for them. And they do so very that idea of being greedy, too, is, is speaking of very self-centeredly or very self-serving. Greed and self is what sin is ultimately rooted in. Greed and self. So I think you're all getting a very clear picture of what Paul is, is showing. Here's how the rest of the Gentiles walk. But this is not how you're to be living. Paul is making this case and giving this picture here. And it's not a very nice walk, right? We're looking at this example going, yeah, no, that doesn't, it's not very appealing. It, it doesn't look very good, but it's something that we all have a propensity to kind of, kind of entertain at times or stumble into. If we are, and Paul's going to get into it, allowing our old self to continue to have some room. So Paul's going to get into that here. And, and, and here's where Paul's taking us, that this is not the way that this should be characterizing our lives now in Christ. Look at what it says there in verse 20. It says, but you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Paul wants, us, wants to make it very clear that those of us that have received Jesus have never been taught that sin can be or should be tolerated. This is not a lifestyle that really meshes with now a person that's in Christ. We've never been taught that. We've never been taught that, you know what, you can have Jesus, but you can continue to have all these things as well. Some people like to live that way as Christians. They think, well, yes, I've accepted Jesus, but I've never really given up these other things. I'm, I'm just kind of adding Jesus now to the rest of the things that I'm sort of engaged in. Paul says, that's not how you have so learned Jesus. 
And, and many of Paul's audience here were Gentiles. They, they know very well what this background was like. And they may have once been those that have followed after the flesh, but understand what Paul is getting at is you've been made a new creation now. No matter what you've been engaged in, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've lived that way, you have now been made new in Jesus Christ. So you're no longer to identify as you once were. Don't let that baggage continue to drag you down. Don't let that history continue to dictate how you're gonna live in the present or in the future. You're a new creation now in Christ. You're no longer to live that way. And same for us, my friends. We're now in Christ and he does a work of transformation, of cleansing and a change. Those past sins, those past mistakes, that past baggage has been taken away from you. You're cleansed, you're a new creation. We're no longer to live that way. It's, it's funny how often I see Christians who kind of maintain a certain sinful characteristic or trait. They hold on to these things and just kind of excuse it by saying, well, that's just the way I am, right? Or, you know, that's just who I am. Can't do much about it. Just have to, you just have to accept it. I know I get very angry. I know I can just rah, freak out, but it's just the way I am. You ever hear people say that? Listen, that may be who you once were, but it's not who you are to be in Christ. There's no longer an excuse to allow sin to have room in your life and pass it off as though, well, that's just how God made me. <laughs> no, he remade you when you became born again. Those are old traits. That's part of the old man that Paul's gonna lay out for us here that you're to put off. So he's gonna give us some action steps here now to see that we're no longer walking in sin. And you're gonna see how the Bible oftentimes illustrates this old life now versus the new life as this kind of wardrobe change. It's this idea of you're putting off and you're putting on. You're putting off the old and you're putting on the new, right? That, would, uh, that we put off that which is not a God and you put on that which is of God. God does that work of saving us. But we must also, as the word of God tells us, that we must also work out our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Please don't get that blurred here. We don't work for our salvation, but because we're saved now, we work out our salvation where we keep desiring to grow in Christ and grow closer to him and be more like him. As, as Paul would say in Romans 13, 14, same idea as what we're gonna be getting into. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep living in him and for him. Work out your salvation. So Paul says here in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, he says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put off the old man, we're told. Now who's the old man? Right? So they're looking around going, yeah, who's the old man here? Let's, who are we to put out? No, it's not about putting off somebody here. The idea is that you're putting off that old person that you were before you came to Christ. See, when you came to Christ, like I said, you become a new creation. So now 
you put off that former way, the former person you were before Christ. It's that life that was controlled by the flesh that was living for sin. That's your, your former conduct, it says. But you're to put it off. Why? Well, it says so because it's growing corrupt. It's growing corrupt. The old man, that sinful nature, you see, isn't capable of getting any better. And, and we're an example of that as we grow older. We find that things aren't necessarily getting better. Body parts aren't working like they once did, right? We're becoming a little bit more frail. We're seeing that things aren't getting any better. It's growing more corrupt. That's, that's just part of, of life here. And it's the same way with the old man, that former conduct. There's no way of making that better. We don't take that and go, well, we're just going to try to wash it up a little bit. We're going to try to clean this up a little bit. I think there's still something that we can do with this. No, we realize it's growing more and more corrupt. It can't get any better except by regeneration through the Holy Spirit, by which we become that new creation. So don't try and reform the old man. We need to die to the old man, crucify the flesh, and put off the old man. It's like those of you that, that have that, you know, one shirt that you've had for like, you know, 20 years, right? Some of you have shirts that have been longer than your marriages, right? I mean, you've got that one shirt and it might have holes in it. It could be all stained up and, and just, uh, you know, tears in it. But you love that shirt. It's so comfortable, right? You're like, this is so good. I, I need this shirt. But understand something. That's not the shirt you're putting on when you're taking your spouse out for dinner. You're going to a nice place. You're not putting on that shirt, are you? You're realizing this is not fitting any longer for where we're going. You realize that's the case. And what Paul's saying, listen, stop holding on to that old shirt. Just put it away. One person is getting convicted this morning in the service because they're realizing, you know, I got that old shirt underneath. So that's what some Christians like to do too. They like to just kind of go, well, I'm going to just put on some kind of new shirt over the old shirt, right? And they're like, looking, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. We'll pray for you. Don't worry about it. But no. But the, what Paul says is, don't cover it up. Don't try to clean it up. Put it away. That shirt it is not capable of getting any better, right? I mean, you can just like toss that thing up and oftentimes the wind can just like blow that thing away. It's just like goes into like dust, right? It's not capable of getting any better. Paul says, put it off. It's not fitting any longer for you in this life in Christ. As believers in Jesus now, we're to be thinking differently about what is appropriate, about what is fitting. We're born again, new creations, and we're to think differently about sin. Notice what Paul says next. It's, it's according to the deceitful us. This former conduct here, this old man which grows corrupt, it's according to the deceitful us. Please understand that sin is very deceitful. It promises great outcomes and satisfaction and delivers on none of it. Because Satan is the master of deception. And he has nothing that he can offer you that's going to make things better. His only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he offers you and he promises you something that feels like it's going to enhance your life and bless your life. But in the end, he has no way to deliver on that. And in the end, it only seeks to destroy it serves up nothing but emptiness. It's what Charles Spurgeon said in um, 
Where's that quote here? I lost it. Charles Spurgeon said, no, that's not that. We already went to that one. Sorry, I'm getting confused here. The old adage is true. Here's, here's the quote here. Lust is like a fire. The more you feed it, the more it demands. And the hotter it gets, the hotter it burns. That's what this deceitful lust is like. We think this is going to help us make things better. But it only brings further destruction. See, we're to think differently now. Paul says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That sounds kind of odd, right? Saying the spirit of your mind, what is that speaking of? How does that kind of balance out? But what it's been referred to is simply having a spiritual mind. See, we need to think properly when it comes to sin and realize the danger of it, the destructiveness of it, that there's nothing good that comes from sin or trying to play around with it. So have your mind renewed now by the spirit is what Paul is speaking of. It's what he says in Romans 12 too. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Since we have learned Christ and as Paul said, been taught this truth, that he is the way, the truth, and life, then remain focused on him. Let's be considering how we can live more fully for Jesus rather than self. He's to be our life now. He's to be everything for us. And it's not that we've learned about Christ. He says that you've learned Christ. In other words, this is far more than just some kind of academic process. This is a relational process. You've learned Christ. You've You've received from him. You've grown in him. You, you've centered your life around him. This is to be a relational thing, not just learning about Christ. You're to learn him in the way that you simply know him. Experientially. Relationally. And Paul says in verse 24 that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. See, I love this. The, the Christian life, is not just about, don't do this, don't do that. We, we, we oftentimes kind of make it that way, or that's certainly the way that the world oftentimes thinks Christianity. And, and what deters some people from becoming Christian, they think, oh, I just have to, you know, try to not do this, not do that. That sounds kind of harsh and, and boring. The Christian life is not about just, don't do that. Stay away from there. Don't move. Don't do this. It's not about focusing on the negatives. It's about Focusing on what is positive and good. And so Paul says, not just put off. He says, put on. Put on now the new man. The very person that Christ has now made you in and through him. See, he gives you the power and the ability to live this life that is no longer conducting yourself like the Gentiles once did, but is walking according to to the things of God now. Put on the new man. He's made that possible. Follow in that. Receive that. See, don't wait to feel like a new man. Some of us are kind of going, well, I'm not quite doing that because I don't know if I'm really there. No, he's already made that possible. He's already made you a new creation, so simply put on the new man. You know what that's like when you put on something very nice. It kind of changes your, your outlook, your focus kind of changes what you do, right? When I put on a suit, those, you know, once or two times a year that I, I wear a suit, it's like 
I'm not putting on a suit thinking, you know what? I think I'm going to go play some soccer with my boys, you know? I'm not doing that. I'm like, no, I've, I've got a suit on. This, this change is kind of what I do and what I, I focus on. And, and not, to, not to mean that, you know, we kind of fake it or we kind of put on this act, but there's something to be said to willfully and consciously put on the new man. It changes your attitude, your focus, and how you live. And this new man, it says, has been created according to God. If you're one that wants to walk in God's will and please him, then it's spelled out pretty clearly here for us. Put on the new man. And what's that new man look like? Well, it's made in true righteousness because it's a righteousness that doesn't come from self as we oftentimes think we gotta offer up what we can produce as righteousness. No, we can't. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah tells us. This new man is created according to God and in true righteousness and holiness. This new man is to operate in a holy way. And that simply means to be set apart. Set apart from the world and set apart to God. It, it's quite simple. To be holy, we sometimes think, oh my goodness, I'll never, I'll never attain to that. That's not calling you to live holy where you now are not stumbling or making any mistakes. Again, it's about that attitude and focus where you're saying, to be holy means that I'm going to be no longer living for the things that are but living for God. That's what it means. And this new man is designed and created for that. See, we're not to try to be like the world or fit in with the world. In fact, the ways of the world is really kind of what we saw in those opening verses. Right? It's not good. It's not pleasant. And we're to connect ourselves into holiness. We're set apart from this world and set apart into God. But our heart is to live in a way that is righteous and attractive to the world. Please understand that. To be set apart from the world does not mean that we alienate ourselves from the world or more so from the people because our desire is to be in the world so as to be a light in the world. Not of the world, but to be in the world. And we're to be living this way so that we can be an example to the world and, and seek to be an attractive presence in the world for them to go, man, I like what I see there. I like how that person lives their life. I want that. Because what they're experiencing is what? The deceptive lust, right? That's not helping them. That's leaving them more and more empty. Broken promises from the enemy. They're looking for something. They're looking for hope. And we have that for them. So we're to be living this new man in a way that is being an example and attracting the world so that they might come and be set apart unto God themselves and receive that blessed life that he has for them. Well, we're going to end it right there. And next week, we're going to look at some specific areas that Paul wants to apply this power of the new life to. Now, if you're here today and maybe you haven't been experiencing this new life, maybe you've been wondering, man, I feel like I've still been caught in that old way. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you've wondered, how is that possible? How can I do that? Well, you can do that because Jesus came to this world to die on a cross 
to pay the penalty for your sin, understand that your sin is what kept you from God, separated you, caused you to continue to walk according to the course of this world. But Jesus came and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He died and he rose again, securing life for you, not just life now, but life eternal. And he's allowed this to be a free gift that you can receive, it's by his grace. And all you need to do is simply repent of your sin and accept this salvation that Jesus has for you. And when you receive that salvation, you become born again. It's in a new creation. This is not a process that you have to try to you know, work for. It's given to you freely by his grace that when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you become a new creation. The Bible says, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And if you've not done that yet, you don't know that you're born again, that you have new life in Christ, simply ask him. Confess your sin, receive him, and as you do, you become a child of God. And then read his word, follow him, follow his word, live for him, and and live in this new life that he has for you. If you're here today and you don't know that new life and you want that, come and talk to me. And if you're online and you've received that today, would you email us and let us know? We'd love to um, get in touch with you and and pass on some, uh, some good resources for you, all right? Let's pray. Worship team, would you come and just lead us in a, in a song in closing? Let's stand together and let's just ask the Lord to bless this word now into our lives. Lord, thank you so much for our time together here and just to go through this word to learn of you, Jesus. And thank you for the life you've given us that we no longer have to live like we once did. You've given us new life in you. So I pray today, Lord, may we actively be putting off the old and putting on the new, that we might live in this newness of life you have for us, being a witness of you in this world, but growing in you and, and, and furthering, adding just to the edifying and the building up of the body of Christ around us. So lead us on now, we ask in your name, amen.